Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hey, what's going on, automotive world? Welcome to another episode of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping, and I will be your host for the show today. The first thing that we are going to do on today's show is catch up with last week's episode. And if you didn't have a chance to listen to that, uh, we covered a couple Dodge vehicles that were having interesting engine or powertrain control module issues, or at least it seemed to be related to the powertrain control module in both cases. Uh, So if you didn't get a chance to listen to that one, I did not give you the conclusion on those just yet. I'm going to in a moment here, uh, but I wanted to get some discussion going on the Facebook group. So uh, if you'd like to go through and listen to that first, before I give you the results, uh, you can pause it here go to the previous episode and take a listen. And if not, you're just here to uh, see what the conclusion was. I'll cover those real quick and then we'll get into today's topic. Uh, So first vehicle was the 2009 Dodge Journey. Uh, The symptoms were a starter relay control that was dropping out intermittently as you were attempting to start the vehicle. Uh, The PCM would just release the ground for seemingly no reason, and the starter would obviously stop spinning at that point. And you could eventually get it started, but it was a pretty rough go to get the engine going as the starter's dropping out continually. Uh, The other issue that it had is the transmission was in a limp mode, and uh, we also found on that one that it was dropping the control to the relay, which powered up all the solenoids in the TCM, or I'm sorry, not the TCM in the valve body. Anyways, um, that one did end up being a PCM. I was pretty confident after checking all of the powers and the grounds and the communication to uh, the PCM that that was it. And I didn't feel like I needed to make any other checks because that PCM, specifically for the starter, it had no reason to drop that out. It had no reason to release control of that starter relay based on everything that I found. You know, the ignition switch, the uh, wind module that's in the dash or the scream module, whatever you want to call it, the tip-em, all of that seemed to be doing what it was supposed to and getting the right signals when you hit that key. The PCM, for whatever reason, the driver inside was just releasing when it wasn't supposed to. So we put a used uh, PCM in it, uh, matched the immobilizer, got it to go, and... uh, no issues there. And it also fixed the transmission issue as well. So we killed two birds with one stone there. The second one was a little bit more challenging to figure out. Uh, definitely a strange issue. It was a 2013 Dodge Durango. And after they had done a couple engine swaps, they said that it would not crank. And I found after looking at the vehicle that the PCM seemed to be power cycling, just turning on and off and on and off. And while it was doing that, it would activate the electric throttle. It would turn on the ASD relay. It would turn on the fuel pump relay in about one second intervals. And it would just keep doing this as long as you had the key on. I checked all the powers and grounds to this thing. I checked the communication, uh, 
there were some communication codes and other modules and configuration codes, um, but everything seemed to be good here. And based on the information that I found, particularly in the tip, um, you know, that was one thing that we were definitely looking at. I didn't see any reason for the PCM to be power cycling. And in fact, we checked the positive battery circuits or the ignition wake-up circuits to the PCM, and some of those come from the TIPM, they were not cycling. They were not dropping out. Even though the PCM itself was power cycling, it never lost uh, power or ground. And, you know, we loaded them, we checked it while it was plugged in to see. And and again, I was thinking man-made on this problem, right? has to be man-made because it ran before they put this brand new engine in and now now it doesn't crank and has this issue they must have done something and maybe they did but you know i was thinking i was going to find a loose ground or a connector somewhere i didn't end up finding that everything checks out on this pcm but um the one other thing i want to consider here is is there something on this new engine that could be causing a problem with the pcm and what i mean by that is maybe some sort of output that is causing an issue maybe with like a 5-volt reference or shorting out some circuit or causing an issue, maybe an overcurrent of the module causing it to reset. I don't know. You know, it's kind of a stretch. But again, I'm thinking what could be different about this engine than the previous one? So how do I figure this out? How do I eliminate any output or anything that's plugged into this module as a potential cause? And here's what I decided to do. I unplugged all four connectors on the front of the PCM, and luckily they're easy to get to. And I pulled up a pinout for the PCM. And what I did was I applied power and ground to all of the pins at the PCM that it would normally receive while the key was on. Okay, so again, all the connectors are unplugged from the module. So it's basically disconnected from the vehicle at this point. And I'm just applying power and ground to the circuit that it needs to turn on. So that's the only thing it's connected to. And I use the vehicle's, uh, you know, positive and ground supply to do this and some jumper wires that you have in the ASC uh, U-Test terminal kit. And it was easy enough to set up. And then what I did was I took my test light and I checked on the control for the ASD relay, for the fuel pump relay, and the two control wires for the electric throttle. Well, guess what I found? They were still pulsing. It was still power cycling. Uh, The last thing I did here, I just wanted to connect the network to the module uh, because I did not have the CAN bus wires connected. So I hooked up the two CAN bus wires. So I'm just jumping them from a hanging connector to the module just to put it on the network to see what happens. And it didn't change anything. It remained exactly the same. And like I mentioned last week, I have good network signals right up to that module. It's not like it's disconnected, but even when it was disconnected, it cycled all the same. There was no changes. So at this point, I'm actually pretty confident calling a PCM here. So that's what we ended up doing As I told them to get a PCM for it. They got a brand new one. We programmed it with a Y-Tech and the engine, what do you know? The engine fired up and it ran great. Uh, and they had a couple other connectors that were disconnected for uh, some other circuit codes, but it actually fired up. It stopped pulsing everything. So 
Why did that happen with PCM? I really don't have a great answer for that because I wasn't around for the repair. I mean, did they connect something that they weren't supposed to? Maybe a positive or a ground went to the wrong place? I don't know. Maybe that's a stretch. I'm really just speculating here. Um, maybe it's just a bad coincidence. Uh, really tough to say exactly what happened, but here's the thing. You don't always have to know exactly how something happened. I mean, of course, we want to know the root cause in a lot of cases, but Sometimes it's just, what do we need to fix this? And it's our testing methods that allow us to do that. Okay. So obviously checking powers, grounds, communication, data, that stuff helps, but we also eliminated any potential output causing this issue as well. So we can be confident in saying that it's this module. The one other note I wanted to make about that was the configuration codes that I mentioned in uh, several modules. When I had the PCM disconnected from the network, meaning it was unplugged and I, I could turn the key on and talk to everything else, although there were some ECM communication codes, all of the configuration codes went away or I could clear them and they wouldn't come back. So, and again, this is just speculating a little bit, but something with the power cycling of the PCM was causing the TIPM to uh, not send out the correct configuration to other modules on the vehicle. And again, I don't know exactly why that is, but I was able to prove that based on the codes and having the PCM plugged in or unplugged, uh, the old one that was failed. Something with that power cycling was confusing the TIPM. Um, it wasn't allowing it to send out the correct information to the rest of the car. So anyways, uh, that both cars were ended up being fixed with a PCM, but it wasn't exactly easy to make that call on either of them, um, but we were able to fix them. All right, so let's get into today's topic. And what I want to talk about today uh, is a specific vehicle. And I was able to repair this vehicle, get it back out on the road using some of the EEPROM editing techniques uh, that I learned in Mike and Pedro's class. And I had Mike and Pedro on the podcast uh, about a month ago or so uh, to talk about their class that they're teaching all over the country. I attended it uh, back in February, and um, this is just one more tool uh, that you have in your back pocket when these cars throw a curveball at you. And anybody that has been doing this for a while know that that will happen <laughs> uh, when we're trying to get these things uh, going on the road, especially older vehicles. And uh, especially now that we have a chip shortage in the automotive industry. And uh, if you're not aware of that, you can Google the articles on it. Um, because of the pandemic and uh, an increased a demand for semiconductor chips. These would be the chips on the board level of microprocessors, of course, control modules that we use in the automotive world. And the um, supply has not been able to keep up with the demand. And the automakers and module makers for the automakers are feeling this uh, supply crunch. And so uh, not only are certain modules going to be more difficult to get your hands on as far as the time. There may be some back orders or some discontinuations, but the cost of these new modules is obviously going to increase for 
uh, the foreseeable future. I have no idea how long it's going to last. I read anywhere from a year to two years uh, that we might be feeling the effects of this in the automotive world, you know, especially because when we're referring to the automotive world, it's kind of a unique industry. I'm sure it's not the only one, but one of the first one that comes to mind where the uh, manufacturers or whoever makes these modules, maybe it's not the actual manufacturer, obviously they probably buy them from someone else. They need what's referred to as legacy technology in order to make these control modules, right? So what I mean by that is we still need modules, brand new modules for 2011, 2012. I mean, you could even go back further than that, but those are a lot of the vehicles that are failing right now, anywhere between 2010 and 2015. We need modules to replace the broken parts on those cars. Well, those modules use chips and technology from 2010 to 2015. And if you go back and think of just technology going back to 2010 compared to 2021, there's been quite the change, right? Um, it's actually kind of amazing that our equipment <laughs> can connect to this older stuff and make things happen. But anyways, um, th there's some specialty items that the automotive industry is going to need to be made. And again, might feel this chip uh, shortage a little bit more than any other, other industry. So where I'm going with this, I do have a point, is that I think we're going to see the need for used control modules more than we have in the past. And again, that's going to be due to uh, discontinuation or increased price or increased wait time in order to get yourself a new control module. And so what do we do in order to fix the car? Well, maybe we can get a used one and make it work. Well, of course, if you've tried this on a lot of vehicles, it's not a plug and play situation especially if we're dealing with powertrain control modules. But even in some applications, really any important computer has to be matched to the vehicle. We have to do a mobilizer. We have to do VIN. We have to do keys, um, all, all sorts of things like that in order to get a module to work and sometimes used isn't an option. But with some of these techniques that I'm going to be talking about, it does give us more options. It gives us something up our sleeve in our back pocket to make something work that otherwise wouldn't have. All right, so onto my vehicle and how this all relates to this. Uh, 2010 Nissan Frontier pickup truck. It's a 4.0 liter V6 and it's two wheel drive. Okay, so this is not a four wheel drive truck and that's important to note here. Um, the shop called me in to program the engine control module. Uh, they had an extended crank issue that they're trying to fix. I was not involved with the diagnosis of this. They just want me to program this module. And this is a pretty good shop. They rarely call me for any diagnostic work. It's usually all just programming. So I don't question them too much if they want me to get this thing going. That's what I'm going to do. Um, in this case like I was referring to earlier, this control module is discontinued through Nissan, or at least that's what they told me. And I did some quick searches and I didn't come up with anything. Now I was able to find a four wheel drive ECM and this was a two wheel drive truck. And I think that's where they ran into an issue is they could not find a ECM for this two wheel drive truck. 
brand new. Nissan discontinued it and they couldn't find any other uh, manufacturers that would sell a new or refurbished module. The only option that they had found is sending it out, getting it refurbished and sent back, uh, but they opted to go with a used one here. And generally speaking, on this era of Nissan, uh, now 2013 and up is a different story, but a 2010 Nissan should be able to go with a used module pretty easily. And on this one, all I need to do to make this happen, as long as it's the correct ECM for the application, is match the immobilizer. And so the immobilizer would be what prevents the engine from starting if you're not using the correct key or a key at all. Um, it's going to look at the transponder in the key you're using to start the vehicle. And through the system, I'll explain in the vehicle it decides, the ECM decides whether it's actually going to start the engine or not. So that's going to be pretty much my only step on this one. There's no uh, real programming involved here. Again, as long as it's the correct used application, as long as they matched up everything when they ordered the used one correctly. So uh, to do this, you've got a few different options that you can go with. I chose to go with the Autel IM508 and use the immobilizer function. And I've done this on plenty of Nissans, so I know that it'll work for this application, or at least it should. Uh, so I go in through the immobilizer application. I go to PCM replaced, and it actually has a a note saying used PCM or I'm sorry, ECM. And that's exactly what I'm doing. So we click on that. And at this point, um, it's going to try to pull a pin out of the BCM and it is a four digit pin and it's going to use that pin and a few more button clicks, you're able to match the immobilizer. Basically tell the BCM and the PCM, hey, you guys belong to the same vehicle. Here are the keys that we're going to be using. And um, it's pretty simple. I've done this on plenty of Nissans before. This vehicle did not let me do that though. Um, it basically would not let me get past the point of pulling the pin or, well, I could go past it, but it wouldn't give me a pin. It said pin read failed. And then when I would go to the next screen, it needed the pin. It wanted me to manually enter it. And I didn't have a pin because the tool was not able to pull it out of the vehicle. And I hadn't run into this before on one of these. So wasn't exactly sure what was going on here. Now, maybe it's a scan tool issue, right? We run into this where you really love the tool that you're using and it's great on a number of applications, but you find that one specific thing where it doesn't work great. Uh, you know, another example of this, I, I talk all the time about the launch diagon and how it's so quick and easy. Well, I have found on certain GM trucks, it will not connect with modules on it and it will just basically <laughs> lead you to believe that there is a communication issue with a particular module when there's not. So I make note of that and I'm aware of that, but just to bring the point home is that even though you may really, really like one particular scan tool or application or something, there's holes in everything. And we always got to be aware of that. So we don't let our tools <laughs> disrupt our diagnostic flow, but I'm considering that. So I want to try a couple other tools and I've got a few other options for uh, Nissan's here um, in order to make this happen. But I tried two other tools and 
both of them did the same thing. Uh, so I have three tools basically that can't pull the pin from this vehicle, the immobilizer pin that I need to enter in order to match the immobilizer for this used PCM. Can't do it. So now I'm thinking, okay, this probably isn't a scan tool issue because um, I've tried three tools and they all give me the same result. So there is another way to get this pin number though. I'm thinking if I can at least get the pin number, then I can enter it and move forward with the process with whichever tool that I choose. So in order to do this on this era of Nissan, if you can physically locate the body control module, there's a sticker on the body control module, or at least there should be, and it has some different numbers on it. You're going to use one of those numbers, okay? And then what the other thing that you'll need is a BCM pin calculator. Now, I believe the Autel must have this built in. It just doesn't show you the process because it's able to figure out the pin by connecting to it. Um, but there's a couple other tools that have that built in as well. But there's an application that you can get uh, either through the Google Play Store or you can download it onto your computer. And what this is, again, is just a calculator, and you take the part number for the BCM that's on this sticker, on the physical sticker on the BCM, you enter it into the pin calculator, and then it will spit out the actual pin number or the pin code that you need to use to access the immobilizer functions. Okay, then I've done this before uh, in a couple situations. So I find that sticker, I do the conversion, and I try the pin number that it gave me. Once I enter that PIN number, it says wrong PIN number, or I think it said PIN number not accepted, something along those lines. Okay. Um, I tried a few different variations. Um, in, maybe I'm looking at the wrong number, I thought. Okay. Because there was a couple numbers and it wasn't the one that I thought that I used before obviously didn't work. Um but none of the numbers on that sticker seemed to work. No matter which way I did it, it would not accept the pin. Okay. So at this point, I'm really not sure where to go or why I can't get past here. You know, maybe there's something I'm missing. Uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's the wrong uh, ECM application. Um, the part number did match from what was on the outside of the module, obviously plugged in, but who knows. And I was actually running behind this day. So I told the shop, let me just do a little bit of reading to see if there's something weird about this one that I'm not aware of. And then I'll swing back tomorrow and we'll make this happen or I'll let you know what you need to get. But I don't want to make a call right now because I'm kind of in a rush. So I did some reading and I didn't really find a whole lot. I actually reached out to a friend too and didn't really come up with anything that should be weird for this one. This one should pull a pin and it should be very straightforward, you know, because there's certain applications, certain cars out there where you run into one and it's just not a smooth process and you have to do something different in order to make it happen. Or maybe something that you just can't do, right? There might be just an application out there where you got to go new or something like that. Uh, but I didn't find that with this one. This one seemed to be normal based on everything that I read. And so I decided to go back the next day. Uh, didn't really have a path, but I did call a friend, uh, Matt Scundrich. She's been on the podcast before and he does a lot of this stuff. And so I was talking to him on the phone while I was going through the same process. You know, at the hotel, try to pull a pin, it failed. We tried doing the conversion from the BCM part number. Uh, you know, he was using some. 
applications that he had in order to try to figure this out. And he actually came up with a couple of them that I did. We tried a couple others. We couldn't get this to go. It just, it would not accept it. So, um, after talking for a little bit, we decided let's pull this BCM out and see if there's any other tags on the backside because this is up under the driver's side of the dash, kind of right mounted right to the side of the HVAC housing. It's pretty easy to get to, but you can't see the backside. So I was like, maybe there's another tag on it somewhere. Maybe there's something I'm missing here. And so uh, I do that. I go underneath the dash and I'm unscrewing the BCM so I can take it out and take a look at it. While I'm under the dash, I happen to look up, and again, I'm under the driver's side of the dash, kind of looking up towards the steering wheel, um, because that's where the BCM is to the side there, and I see the ignition switch or the backside of the ignition switch, and the ignition switch goes right into the dashboard just to the right of the steering wheel. It's not on the column, it's on the dash, but just to the right of the steering wheel if you're sitting in the driver's seat. And so I'm underneath and I'm looking up. Now I see uh, there's an extension and you can see the actual ignition switch and there was electrical connector there, but up by where the actual lock cylinder is, where you put the blade in and turn it, I looked and there's no electrical connectors here, which I immediately thought was odd because this is a chip style key, right? And it, it was, it was a black plastic head Nissan key. I'm sure you've seen them before, which means that it has a transponder in it, or at least generally it means it has a transponder in it. And in order for that to work, we need a halo. We need an exciter ring that's going to be on the backside going around that lock cylinder where you actually insert the blade to turn it, we need that halo or they call it a NATS antenna for Nissan in order to interact with the chip in the key to verify that you have the correct key for the vehicle and, you know, go through the immobilizer process the way it's supposed to. Okay. Now, again, on this truck, there's nothing there, nothing. And so there's absolutely no way a chip could be activated because there's no halo. Now, again, I looked at the key. I was like, this is an immobilizer key. And it's obviously right for the vehicle. It works in the ignition. It works in the door. And I actually took my key tool and I read it. And it did have a readable chip in the key head. So it was a security type key. And again, there's no halo. So what does that mean? That means this particular truck that I'm working on is not equipped with an immobilizer. It did not come equipped with a immobilizer from the factory. But it still had a transponder key. And I've actually run into this before. Um, if you go back uh, to some episodes from last year, I talked about a Ford Transit van that had a chip key, but no halo. And it actually had an anti-theft light on the dash because the PCM and the instrument cluster lost communication. And in those Fords, even if it's not a PATS is the acronym for Ford Immobilizer. Even if it's not a PATS vehicle, it still needs a handshake between the cluster and the PCM. In most cases, there could be other modules there involved, but there still is an anti-theft module, even though there's no immobilizer actually happening. Now, again, the key could have a chip in it, but there's no halo to activate it. Okay. So I've seen this before. I've also seen it uh, where there's just a metal blade key and then you know for sure it's not an immobilizer vehicle. I wasn't as lucky in this case. So anyways, 
Back to this Nissan. I can't read a pin because this vehicle is not set up with a immobilizer system with a pin code. There's no pin code to read. So of course my Autel and my other tools are not going to be able to pull it and it won't matter what I put in there. It's not going to work because it's not equipped with that. Now, whether or not there's still a handshake between the BCM and the PCM in this case, I don't know that for sure. But here's what I do know. The used DCM that they got me, that they put in here, came out of a Frontier that had an immobilizer system. And how do I know this? Well, the engine won't start, so that's a pretty good clue. But there's also Pats, or I'm sorry, not Pats, Nats, that's Nissan's anti-theft. There, there was Nats codes in the PCM saying that it was missing the ID or missing the confirmation, right? It's looking for the BCM and key data from the truck that it came out of. But this truck is not supplying that because it doesn't have an immobilizer system. It's not reading the key. Okay. So hopefully everyone's on the same page here is that this used DCM is going to be stuck in an anti-theft mode forever on this truck. It, there's, you know, there's no way it's going to work. So what do we do now? Uh, do we try to find another used DCM? And I guess it was pretty tough to locate this one is what the shop was telling me. And of course we can't get a new one. So where do we go with this? Is there another option? And I was willing to give it a shot here. And luckily enough, you know, I'd taken that class from uh, Mike and Pedro, gave me the confidence and the knowledge in order to do this. But EEPROM is your other option here. Okay. Now, a disclaimer, this may not work on everything. There may be situations where this won't get you a solution and you have to get a new module. Okay. But I'm finding more and more with a network of people and really smart people out there doing really cool stuff. Uh, there are some workarounds to quite a few problems that we might run into out there. And of course, this is one of those vehicles. So the first question here would be what's an EEPROM if you're not familiar and why do we care about it in this situation? Uh, so EEPROM, that's two E's, uh, electronic, erasable, programmable, read-only memory. That's a mouthful. But basically, uh, this is permanent storage of memory for the microprocessor to read from or refer to uh, when, during operation in order to perform various tasks. So we're going to have permanent information in here that can be changed with a specialty device. And we'll talk about that. But as far as installing on the board and computer operation, what the information that's put in here stays the same. And so this is going to be information, you know, what's, what's in an EEPROM, what data is in there. Uh, it's going to be stuff like VIN number, immobilizer handshakes, key data. Okay. This is all going to be in this EEPROM, this chip that's on the board. It's a physical chip, a little eight leg piece in most cases. Sometimes they're not, sometimes they're built into other components, but I don't want to make this too complicated. And I want to encourage you to go take a class on this stuff. Anyways, important information to basically to match a module to a vehicle in some way. Again, whether that be the VIN number, the immobilizer, the keys, other data too. And uh, I'll have a Subaru on eventually here where there is some other information that's stored in the CPROM as well. But anyways, the module is going to refer to this and generally speaking, it's not going to change any of the data in there. Like it's not going to go change the VIN number. It's not going to change the key data unless 
you have some specialty equipment that can do this. And that's the electronic erasable programmable portion of the read-only memory. So that's EEPROM. Okay, so what does that mean to us here? The information for the ECM to say you're an immobilizer ECM, you're looking for a BCM, and you're looking for key data in order to start this engine. And here's the key data that you're looking for. That's in the EEPROM. Or the information that says you are not an immobilizer ECM, you don't need that data. Again, maybe there needs to be a handshake between it and the BCM still. I, I'm not 100% on that, but it's not looking for any key data if that's what's programmed in there from the factory. And then it's just going to start as long as it's installed in a vehicle. So can we take the data that says you are not an immobilizer ECU and put it into the used ECM that says it is an immobilizer ECU because we want the non-immobilizer ECU in the non-immobilizer truck in order for it to start. Can we copy the data from one and put it into the other to make this used ECM work in this application? Well, I don't know, but we're going to give it a shot anyways. So the first step to do this is, of course, you'll need a programming device, and this isn't like J2534. This is chip programming and the autel 508 and 608 can definitely do this there are a ton of other tools out there as well and you can uh, research what's available there but i was using the autel 508 here but first what you need to do is access this eprom on the board level so in order to do this you're gonna have to separate the case for the control module that you're dealing with and that's easier on some than others. This one was sealed up, so you kind of have to heat the silicone, take the screws out, and separate it very gently to get to the board level. Now, once you've identified where this EEPROM is, which isn't always the easiest thing, but again, this is stuff that you learn when you go through uh, the class that I did. Uh, I was able to identify it and use the part number that's on it in order to identify that, okay, yes, this is definitely an EEPROM and I can match up the part number to say, yeah, I know that's what this is because there are other chips that look like EEPROMs, but they're not. There are other devices. And again, sometimes the EEPROM is not on a little eight leg chip. It's somewhere else where you can't see it. So anyways, uh, I'm going to crack it open and look because I'm not sure. I haven't done this particular application. I didn't find any information out there on this if someone else had, but I'm going to give it a shot. I'm just going to crack this open. I'm going to start with the original one and see what I can find. So um, I go in there and I was able to identify an EEPROM. So I'm going to connect to this with a little clip that's going to plug into the XP400, which is an additional component with the IM508, you have to buy it separately. Otherwise, the Autel IM608 does come with it. But either way, it's a programming device. Again, not J2534. This is not getting plugged into the OBD2 port. This is going on the board level and connecting two actual chips. Um, so we take a clip, we connect to the CPROM. Uh, one suggestion is a lot of these ECMs have a, like a clear coating uh, protective coating over everything, you are going to have to clean that off in order to make good electrical connection. And sometimes these chips, you have to actually remove them from the board in order to read them. Some of them won't read while they're soldered to the board. And on that note, one of the options here is just swapping the EEPROMs. I could just 
desolder both EEPROMs and then swap them. And then basically I've taken all of the VIN, the key, the immobilizer or non-immobilizer info, and I put it onto a different board. And then that ECM now should start up that vehicle and run. But I elected not to do that here. Instead, I want to see if I can connect and I can read the data because I'm not even 100% sure if this will do it, right? I'm just assuming that my immobilizer info is within this EEPROM, but I don't know that for sure. So I was able to connect to this on the board after cleaning it up a bit, and I was able to read some data using the Autel. And in the Autel and other programs as well, but you can actually do this right on the scan tool, you can pull up what's called the hex data, which is really just the information inside of that EEPROM because that's all it does. It just stores zeros and ones in a series to make information in order for the processor to refer to. Well, we can convert that data, that hex data to something that we can actually read. Now, I guess I should be careful there because some of it is, a lot of it is just gibberish, but here's what I look for when I connect to an EEPROM. I want to see if I can see a VIN number. Okay. And that's the first thing that I did. Again, I'm in the original computer. Um, this is one that is not an immobilizer. And I'm just looking for the VIN of the truck that's sitting right there. And it'll give me some confidence that, hey, I found the right chip. Here's the VIN number. Let's hope that the key and immobilizer info is in here as well. Or again, in this case, non-immobilizer info. And I did find the VIN in the hex data. So this is cool. I was like, okay, so at least I'm pretty confident I have the right chip here. This is the EEPROM. This is the info for this processor to decide what to do. And the rest of it was gibberish. Again, I couldn't tell you just by looking at it whether there's key data in there, mobilizer. I'm sure there's some smart guys out there that could definitely do that, but that's not me. So anyways, I'm just being hopeful here. So I copy this and you can save this file into the Autel or you can put it on a computer or a memory disk, however you want to do it. And so then I crack open the other ECM and I connect to that one. I read that one. Of course, it's a different VIN. And somewhere in there, it's telling it that you are an immobilizer ECM and you do have key data that you're looking for in here. Otherwise, don't start it. Now, I save that as well. And I'd always recommend you connect to an EEPROM, whatever it is, save the data because I've made that mistake before. Because once you rewrite that EEPROM, whatever was in there is gone unless you saved it to your tool. So I save that. And now I'm going to attempt to write the EEPROM data from the original module, the non-immobilizer module, onto this EEPROM without removing it off the board, without desoldering anything. We're just doing a copy and paste, basically. A copy from the first one, and I'm going to paste it onto the second one, our immobilizer ECU. So I do that, and I read it again. I go through the process again. The VIN updated to my truck that I have sitting there. So now both modules read the correct VIN at least within this hex data. Again, I don't know about the key or the immobilizer, but we're going to find out pretty soon. So I take the board even before I put it back in its case. I connect it up to the connectors. I reach in, truck fires right up. It's like, sweet. Okay. So we put it all back together, assembled it correctly, put some more silicone on it, put it back together and started it up and went through the motions, but there was no immobilizer to worry about at this point. I was able to write the correct information to the used 
ECM and make it work. And hopefully it fixed whatever extended crank issue they have. Again, couldn't tell you, um, it was not my diagnosis, but I was able to make that used part work in an application where it would not have otherwise. So anyways, uh, this was just pretty cool because we made something work when there wasn't a whole lot of other options, or at least nothing that would have been easy to get this truck on the road and fixed. And the shop's happy. I'm sure the customer's happy. They may not realize everything that goes into making it happen, uh, but the shop was really happy to get this one out of their hair. And that they didn't have to dink around finding a part out there that is going to take uh, two weeks to get and maybe isn't right. Uh, we just made it happen right there, which, again, is always a cool feeling and it's good to be able to provide that service to your customers. Gives you that workaround when you need it. So, again, this is me just encouraging you to you know, start to research, to start to learn about this stuff. There's Facebook groups out there. There's YouTube videos out there. There's the class to take with Mike and Pedro. Um, you may not use it every day, really depending on your situation. It might be infrequent, but when it comes to the time that you actually need it, uh, it sure is handy in a lot of applications. And like I mentioned, with the chip shortage coming, who knows, we might see more of a need for this and it will just make you more versatile as a technician to have one more thing up your sleeve right and again you can get the equipment for you know relatively inexpensive um, compared to other tools that are out there now again there are lots of tools and one tool is not going to cover everything but i will say the autel programmer is pretty handy. I mean, the 508 is around a thousand bucks. The XP 400, which is the actual programmer, uh, that's another four or 500. Or, you know, you can go with a 608 that has everything, including a J box uh, for, I think it's under three grand. Um, there's other ones out there like a VVDI that's uh, four or $500. And there's other applications too. But Either way, just to get into this, you're not breaking the bank. And then you can start messing around on old modules and see what you can do, see what you can read. Um, it's really fun stuff. Uh, we talked about this before. Just actually going in and knowing what's happening on the board level, I think is beneficial to us as technicians to learn this stuff. But it gives you more options to fix more vehicles. You know, I did something almost identical to this with a Toyota Sienna where it was a immobilizer PCM put into a non-immobilizer van. That one had a metal blade key, so I knew right away what was going on. Um, but again, EEPROM work made it happen. Um, I had a Mini Cooper that had a footwell module that failed after a battery disconnect. I guess it's a pretty common problem on those in the BMWs. Well, instead of replacing it with a four or $500 module, the information that I got from Mike and Pedro's class, and Pedro actually kind of held my hand through this one too. This is my first time doing it. We were able to repair this module, right? Go into the board level and change the information that's in there, fix the data that's in the uh, D flash and the P flash. And this module worked again because none of the windows worked. This module wouldn't communicate, but we cracked it open and we made it functional again. And you can charge a decent amount of money for that, right? If the module's four or $500 and you're charging half of what that is, you're making good money and the customer is very happy or the shop's very happy, right? The shop that disconnected the battery to do something totally unrelated and now is looking at a $500 module replacement, um, you know, somebody's going to eat that, whether it's the customer or the shop, they're not going to be happy. Well, again, they got to 
pay me to do this, but two $300 is two $300 that they're saving uh, and you're able to do that sort of stuff. So anyways, I'm getting kind of long-winded and rambling here. Um, I just uh, encourage you to look into this information because I think it is pretty cool stuff and it can actually be pretty useful um, as you go about your technician life. But that's all I got for you today. I want to thank everybody for listening. Have a great week. And other than that, Let's get out there, start fixing the world one car at a time.